Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Before we begin, just a massive thank you to however you are listening to this. We really do appreciate your support. We record the podcast every Monday and if you do enjoy it, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Why not drop us a review while you're there? Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, Ben James, and I am joined by Simon Thomas and Matthew Southcombe. How are you doing, gents? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Good, good, all looking well. Uh, Matt's looking very wrapped up. I think he's uh, accepting that winter is very much on the way. Yeah, I'm I'm fighting it. I'm not putting the heating on yet, but I might have to soon. Um, How how are you finding this, Si? Well, um, how shall I put this? Um, We're back in lockdown, you know? (laughs) It's uh, having been uh, having been stuck indoors from uh, March till August at the old shielding group with my Cardiff Council package. Coming once a week with the wagon wheels. Um, yeah, it's back to that again. It's difficult times for everybody, isn't it? But um, what just about we're managing to keep going with some rugby, and that's going to be that's going to be a big boost over the coming weeks, um, giving us something to do and something to watch and write about and talk about. Indeed, I mean. This coming weekend, the Pro 14 season kicks off. It only ended a couple of weeks ago. Um, and as a sort of something to whet the appetite, there was a, a preseason friendly. I think it was called the preseason friendly on Friday between the Scarlets and the Ospreys. And, and Matt, you went down to to have a look. Um, how did you find it? Yeah, it was great. Um, you know, fa- fairly... Uh, sort of relaxed atmosphere obviously no crowd down there but very few press with just myself and uh, Daft Pritchard from the BBC down there um, the game was was brilliant really um, as pre-season games go uh, you couldn't really ask for a lot more it was it was pretty hotly contested it, it, it had a bit of intensity about it there was a fair bit of niggle a um, bit of busted busted up once or twice um, which you like to see in a Welsh derby and um, yeah it was a good game you know at the end of the day the score was relatively meaningless but you know I was sat in front of the Ospreys coaches and and they were getting you know when the game was tight towards the end they were getting up for it you could tell and you know it, it's always nice to get a W even though it was um, you know in, in pre-season circumstances they played uh, two two sort of quarters of 20 minutes uh in the first half and then played a full 40 minutes in the second half um, so yeah all in all it was uh, I'd imagine that it was a very useful run out um, for the coaches they will have learned a fair bit about the members of their squads um, that didn't get to see any action in the pre, in the uh, the Pro 14 derbies a few months back and and obviously the Scarlets in Europe recently um, so yeah it was a good worthwhile trip down to Parker Scarlets Um some notable performances from a few youngsters: Jonathan Davis back, um, Scott Williams back. You know, it was uh, it was a good little afternoon. I was um, in the evening after that. I was taking a little stroll through Boncana in Cardiff, um, just for my daily constitutional, and I, I bumped into John Fox walking his, right. walking his little dog, uh, taking him for a stroll. I think the dog was taking him for a stroll more, to be honest. Um, but uh, yeah, he I chatted to him briefly, and he and he just said it, it felt eerie because it was obviously his first game back, you know, post lockdown. And I think that's you know something a lot of players have found, isn't it? Just just very very strange the whole thing, um, low key. 
Uh, and uh, but I think he was obviously you know delighted to be back. It's been a long time for him out. Um, I've seen a, a few clips of the game, and a few of the younger players um, looked to have something about them. The young boy Rogers, Tom Rogers, the Scarlet, looks a stylish little runner. Mm. Who caught your eye of the other youngsters coming through? Yeah, so Tom Rogers was on my list. Um, played very well at fullback for the Scarlets. Um, he's got a sevens background, and you can sort of tell by the way he. He looks very comfortable in, in open spaces. Um, did some good work in the build-up to a try, which I think you probably saw, Si. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he was he was good and solid under the high ball as well, which is always useful. Um, but I was really impressed with Josh Thomas, um, the Ospreys fly half. Where's he Going from? Down there. Uh, he's a Ponte Delice product. Um, he's 20 years old. Um I went down there looking, you know, more interested to see Sam Costello, to be honest with you. Um, but it was, uh, you know, Josh Thomas outshone Costello, really. Um, not that um, he had a bad game, but, you know, Thomas um, looks comfortable on the ball, good distribution, um, showed real intelligence in the build-up to Matt Prothero's try, I believe. Um, noticed that Scarlets were short on the blind side, saw he was up against Ratuva. Um, danced away from him and, and showed some good pace to get in behind the Scarlets and that was in the build-up to one try. Uh, I think it was at the start of the second half there was some kicking um, and a Scarlets player, it might have been Costello, hit one of those dodgy kicks where it doesn't quite go as far as it should. Um, so Thomas, who was covering the backfield, had to race onto it, took it really well and then without breaking stride, knocked a kick in behind the Scarlets into touch in the Scarlets 22. And it was just those little sort of flashes and you just think that he's got something about him. Um, so he was really good. I was really impressed with him. Um, Costello played pretty well himself. Um Put in a, picked the pass off his toes and put in a lovely cross kick uh, to the far side of the field for Combia, um, I believe. So he was another one who had a decent outing. Uh, Callum Carson, Osprey centre, not somebody I, I know much about, um, but I thought he was pretty good. Um, you know, obviously opposite Jonathan Davis. That's no no easy task. Um, and uh, but Jack Morgan as well. Uh, he capped in the Scarlets on Friday. Um, obviously former Wales in the 20s captain but he was superb uh, really physical um, even though he is a lot younger than uh, a lot of the Ospreys players in that pack that were on the field um, really physical won a couple of penalties at the breakdown uh, I think he packed down at number 8 once because he had to go digging in, into the scrum when the when it was going backwards and managed to sort of pluck the ball out and, and get it to his backs like we've seen Faletau do so many times for Wales over the years um, so he's he's got a massive future ahead of him. Uh, obviously, Glenn Delaney pointed out after the game that they've got three or four really good open sides down in Clonetley. So it's going to be difficult for him to sort of break through into the um, the first team on a regular basis. Um, but you know he's got the quality to do it. And you know if if people like Josh McLeod do get call ups for Wales, um, and maybe he'll get and obviously James Davis as well and maybe he'll get some chances during the international blocks, but he was really impressive. So the two, two standout youngsters, really, was Jack Morgan for the Scarlets and um, Josh Thomas for the Ospreys. And Morgan's going to play for Wales. I mean, I've, I've watched him in three under-20s. He, he's the kind of player who, who will become, get into squads because he can cover six, seven, eight, particularly eight and seven. I mean, um, he's good over the ball. 
he played in one of the games in Europe last year, one of his very first games in the Scarlet. And he actually dominated the breakdown playing at seven. I'd never seen him play seven before, only seen him play eight. And he, he's just, as you can see by the fact that he was chosen to captain that team, he's got a maturity, he's got a bit of that yeah. aspect to him, you know. So he's the kind of guy I think will be in a well squad within a year or so. And as for the young player, Thomas, that's interesting, isn't it? Because it's what the Ospreys need with Anscombe yeah. still on a long-term injury. I mean, Stephen Myler's, you know, one of the oldest players around at the moment, so you, you can't ask him to play every week, really. The um, price has it. Age, has age catches up with us, Ben, you see, eventually. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, what they really need is a young fly-off coming through and could be opportunities for him over the coming months, couldn't they? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was sixty minutes or probably sixty five minutes in a you know preseason hit out, so it's difficult to read a great deal into it, obviously. But you know, having watched him, you know, if he continues and he, if he's showing that sort of form in training, then I, when I left there on Friday, I was thinking I wouldn't have many issues with you know putting him on the bench perhaps as a backup for Myler um, in the early part of the season and, and ease him in and see how he goes because you know to be honest, I didn't see him. I didn't see. I haven't seen Luke Price do anything that I don't think this this kid can do. Um, if that makes sense, uh, I think you know he was the one who I was most excited about leaving there on Friday. I tell you, what my main concern is when I looked at that game and looked at the players involved. You look at them and think there are a lot of kids there, not even kids, but some you know established squad players. When are they going to play rugby? Because if they're not involved in the 23 for a match there in Pro 14, there's no Premiership rugby for them to drop down to. There's no Celtic Cup. I feel like, say, someone like Tom Pridey, you know, international player. But he's, if he's not involved, when's he going to play? There's nowhere to go. You know, it's very, very difficult for these players. You yeah, do wonder point. whether that game on Friday might be a kind of template for what we see in the future with a few sort of A-style friendlies between the regions and potentially yeah. between um, the regions. And, and what Irish, I mean, obviously there's, you know, travelling issues, but if you could arrange something maybe with Edinburgh second team, if you if it's such a thing, you know, put, put together. Because we've got to find game time for these squad players because, you know, an injury happens and then they're required. I think Tom Pride hadn't played for like a year, you know? And a lot yeah. of players haven't played and, and now won't, as it stands, play for weeks on end again. So it is yeah. an issue because because the premiership ain't going to start back, is it? Not anytime soon. No, I think that's a really great point, Si. Um, and I think that's something they should probably look at because, you know, looking at these the youngsters that I picked out on Friday, you know, Tom Rogers has got Lee Halfpenny and Liam Williams in front of him. Obviously, when Wales comes about, he might get a chance. But, you know, people like Jack Morgan... You know, there's three there's three open sides at the Scarlets. Um, on the Osprey side, Harry Morgan, scrum half. Um, I thought he was brilliant in the chances he had. Um, you know, Costello. There's Dan Jones, Angus O'Brien, and Reese Patchell ahead of him. You know, like you said, these these people are going to need games, and um, you know, otherwise. And also, if if they do get a call up out of nowhere where they have to suddenly play a game, they could be in a Pro 14 match playing their first game in six or seven weeks. You know, that's not only is that not good for them in terms of form, that that's a recipe for disaster in terms of injury as well. But I suppose um, the other so, the other thing to consider is, as you as you say, you know, look, Tom Rogers has got Halfpenny and Liam Williams ahead of him. Well, Wales are effectively heading into a twenty week block, as Wayne Pivak calls it, where they've got eleven matches in those twenty weeks. So how often are the Welsh boys going to be around? I think I think we're going to be seeing 
obviously with the Scarlets, there's so much depth that a lot of these boys aren't going to play, as you mentioned, Si, but I think a lot of these lads who, who played on Friday could could see a, a fair bit of minutes in the Pro 14. Yeah, Tom yeah, Rogers is probably not a good example in that sense. Um, wasn't <laughs> Jack a great Morgan maybe has point. a fair bit of competition at open side. You, you don't yeah, expect... I mean, if you look at the squad, I mean, if let's, let's say that the Wales squad is, what, what should you say, 36... It's 37 players. No, no more than 40, is it? But it's probably going to be yeah, about... Yeah, so say that. I mean, so, I mean, the Scarlets will probably have the most, you'd think, double figures. Um, but that still leaves then probably 30-odd players back at the regions, in some of the regions. And a few of them ain't going to get that much game time. Um, yeah, it is a tricky one. I mean, it is an unusual season because there's more international rugby than ever before, so squad depth will be important. But I think as the weeks develop... If the regions are finding they've got a large chunk of boys who aren't getting to game time, you'd think that at some point a couple of friendlies may have to be added to the equation. Indeed, it makes sense going forward, doesn't it? I think um, since we're talking about the the start of the Pro 14 season, that does start this weekend. Um, it's not that long ago that the Welsh regions are in action in the derbies. Um, so, so where do we feel each of the regions are heading into this new unusual season? Well, it's just, it's just surreal, the whole thing, isn't it? The 2021-22 season is starting on Friday and the 2020-21 hasn't finished yet. You've still got the European finals to take place. You've still got the, the English playoffs to take place. So it's just very, very weird, the whole thing is. But as I said at the start, at least there's rugby being played. Um, maybe if I take... Because Matt's seen the two West Wales sides, so if I take the two East Wales sides, yeah, um, I, th- I suppose the big thing is that in both cases, a lot of players who had long-term injuries um, have come back. Most of the regions now are, are pretty much f- working on a full squad, which is good. And because we've always said that, you know, when the regions can put out their best teams, they're pretty competitive. It's it's the depth. So they should be in quite good places. You, you look at the, the Blues and they've got people like Matthew Morgan's come back after a long spell out. Um, they've got good competition there. They're away to Zebra, first time up on Friday in Palmer. It's a good kind of opening test, that really, isn't it? Because it's the kind of game which if you've got any kind of pretensions of a decent season, you need to win out there. But it can also be a bit of a banana skin. They've had their issues in Italy in the past, the, the Blues. Um and I'd be fascinated to see what kind of side they put out, whether they look to play. If you look at the way they played in the game, they won against the um, the Ospreys. Um, they looked at their most threatening when they were moving that ball into wide channels. I mean, Josh Adams just looked I mean, outstanding. And I think you make the most of him for the couple of weeks you have him, because you're not going to see much more of him after that. It'd be great to see. I mean, I don't know where exactly he is, but people like Willis Hallaholo coming back into the mix as well. Um, Corey Hill, that's an interesting one for me as well, because that's a competitive position in the second row. Corey's taken a new adventure there with the Blues back with his old region. So there's a lot of players like that to look at of interest. And the Dragons, um, well, they've gone from one very, very difficult assignment at Ashton Gate against Bristol, and now they head out to Dublin take on Leinster um, who as we've said before could probably finish first and second in both conferences if they wanted to such as their strength in depth um, it was a bit of a sobering time for the Dragons there's been so much talk about them but ultimately the three games they've played since lockdown they've lost all three 
sorry, they drew the first one, sorry, and lost the second two. They were a heavy loss against Bristol. So still looking for a win since rugby returns. And you'd probably struggle to see that happening this weekend. Yeah, I think they're going to be keep, keep looking this weekend, though. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's so where they Len- stand. It's a Leinster team in crisis, isn't it? In, in inverted commas, in, <laughs> in the Irish media. So they'll be even more determined to uh, to come back yeah. firing. So, I mean, you'd, you'd probably hope for a Blues win this weekend. Um, and you'd hope for the, the Dragons to at least show that they are more competitive now. Which they did for 20 minutes against Bristol. And then it became too much for them. So, yeah. Interesting times for both teams. What about down west? Yeah, like Sai said, you know, I mean, if we start with the the Scarlets at full strength, the Scarlets are going to be a problem for everybody this year, as they should have been the last year and you know the last few years really. Um, but as we've discussed, there's going to be you know huge periods of the season where the internationals are away. Um, I still think the Scarlets are probably best equipped out of the Welsh regions to deal with that. Um, because of the, the sort of strength and depth that they have got down there, you know, as we've touched on with some of the youngsters earlier. Um, so, you know, you back the Scarlets to do well. If we're looking at them uh, against Munster in their first game of the season, in Llanelli, um, you know, going to be at full strength, you would have thought. Um, but, you know, if Reece Patchell may be struggling, Liam Williams perhaps may be struggling, we'd expect... Um, an update from Glenn Delaney on those two um, this week in the press conference. Um, other than that, they they haven't really got many many injury issues to to sort of look at. Um, so if they're running at full strength, I'd expect them to beat Munster. It's the kind of game really they should be winning uh, if they're going to be genuine contenders. Now I'm not saying Munster is an easy task by any stretch of the imagination, but. Um, Munster at home, if you're going to win the league this year, is a game that you should win. So, um, yeah, if they were, if they did have Reese Patchell at fly half um, and Liam Williams in their back line, so you'd be looking at a, a back line of Gareth Davis, Patchell, Johnny Williams, John Davis, um, Liam Williams on one wing, um, half penny at full back, and the same, you know, Pridey or Combier, um, obviously McNichol not fit. Um, you'd expect that back line to cause some problems. So, uh, at full strength, the Scarlet should do well this season. But you know how how their youngsters come through and fill the gaps during the international periods is going to have a huge outcome, a huge say in the outcome of their season. Um, as for the Ospreys, uh, it's you know they, every time we look at the Osprey squad on paper in the last few years, it looks like a squad that should compete. Now, obviously, we've seen last year that's not always the case in reality. Um, you know, it probably don't handle the international periods as well as somebody like the Scarlets. I don't think they've got the squad to manage that time. Um, you know, losing Anscombe has been a huge blow for them. Um, you know, obviously he hasn't played for them since he signed uh, a couple of summers ago. So, you know, fly half has been a real issue with obviously Sam Davis heading off um, to the Dragons. Dan Bigger obviously leaving. You know the keys to the kingdom were left to to Luke Price pretty much, and you know I, I'm not sure he was up to it. Um, Stephen Myler could turn out to be a really shrewd bit of business for them. Um, you know if he can just push people in the right directions, hold things together whilst the likes of Alan Wynn um, and those boys are away, then you know maybe that could help them. Um, at full strength again, you know they they should be causing problems for any side uh, when you look through the quality that they have on paper um, I don't know if they're going to manage the international periods as well as 
as others. Um, so I do worry for them a little bit in that respect. Um, they, you know, therefore, I think if they could if they could squeeze into the playoffs this year, for example, I think that would constitute a good season um, for them. But you know, I, I don't think that they. Should the fans shouldn't be expecting much more than that at this stage and then once you get to the playoffs who knows but yeah at full strength they're, they're a real issue but I don't think they they manage the international periods as well as perhaps the Scarlets do For me I'm just interested to see what, what a Booth team looks like and then I've watched like a lot of the time when he was involved in London Irish and elsewhere in the English League and he's always struck me as being quite a kind of innovative thinker on the game mm. um, so there has been times, I think, over the recent years when you felt the Ospreys have been quite conservative in the way they've played. Um, so that, for me, is interesting, you know, to see exactly what kind of side they're going to be. And I think yeah. this year, above more, this is a year you need to see three or four of their kids coming through, really. Yeah. Um, that's that, that's that's not just them either. It, it, when I talked to Alan Jones, the uh, Alan Jones, the, the Blues chairman, last week. And similar, when I spoke to Simon Madarak at the, the Scarlets, given the financial situation we're facing now, where each of the four regions has got £5 million to pay back to NatWest over the next five years, you know, you, you're going to have to balance the books. And that inevitably means focusing very heavily on homegrown talent. Yeah. You're gonna, the, the the production line, the academies are going more important than ever because you can't just go out into the market when you've got that kind of financial albatross over you. You have to be able to produce your own. So I think that's that. If anything comes out of this season from the four regions, you would look for each four of the four sides of so three or four players, youngsters who we don't know much about right now, coming through and establishing themselves because that's the only way we're going to be able to keep going in terms of uh, putting competitive sides in the field with the financial pressures that everybody's going to be under for the next three or four years. Good thing about Toby Booth and the Osprey setup now is the freshness um, that they, they'll bring. Obviously, you look at Alan Clark and Steve Tanley were promoted from within. Um, so we're always probably attached to the previous regime, if that's, that makes sense. Um, but I think Toby Booth coming in will bring, you know, he's got a, a fair bit of gravitas, um, you know, compared to the people who've come before him, perhaps, particularly Alan Clark. Um, so I think he, he demands that respect quite quickly from the players. And and Brock James as well is obviously, you know, done a lot as a player. Um, so he will, you know, straight away, there'll be respect there. Um, and yeah, like I said, I sat in front of them on Friday and, you know, heard pretty much everything. Um, and they just they just seem like really good, as you said, slight thinkers on the game. And, you know, there wasn't necessarily... Um, you know, everybody was, it was calm heads all the way, um, clear messages, um, concise messages. Uh, and, you know, it, it all looks pretty positive at the moment at the Ospreys. And I, I do think that Toby Booth could be, you know, the kind of guy to turn them around. Now, obviously, the proof will be in the pudding, so to speak. But I think, you know, there's a lot, a lot of reasons for Ospreys fans to be optimistic at the moment. When he, I think it was when he was in London Irish starting out, one of his training regimes, he used to blindfold players and just give them a ball. And yeah. everything was based around communication and just finding each other in spaces. Uh, just things like that, you know. <laughs> whether, whether he's doing that at the Ospreys now, I'm not quite so sure. But, uh, I, think, I think the Ospreys think, had a long enough injury list over the last couple of years without blindfolding players. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. But uh, yeah, I suppose anything new is always worth trying, isn't it? 
Indeed it is. Um, I suppose previewing the season, we should probably maybe make some predictions. Um, so let's start with who we think is going to end up as the winners. Leinster. <laughs> it's nice Leinster. and easy, isn't it? <laughs> so that, that's you, that you as well, Matt? Yeah, so it's difficult to look at anyone else, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They've given us no reason to doubt them, really. I suppose... I, <laughs> I combine sort of two questions is highest performing Welsh region, but also how many Welsh regions, if any, do we see getting into the playoffs? Scarlets and Scarlets. One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the Scarlets would be the um be the, the safe bet for highest performing uh, region. I would like to see more than one region make the playoffs next season. Um as you know, far fetched as that may seem. Um but it would be nice. I think we've got so. Can I think the Ospreys have got the, the chance of making that third spot in their conference? Um, no, if you assume Leinster and Glasgow, probably the, the top two teams in their conference. It's probably between them and Ulster for that third spot. So, you know, if I was being confident, I'd, I'd back the Ospreys there. Although Ulster is obviously going to be no. No easy task. Um, I think the Blues may be slightly more up against it to join the Scarlets in the playoffs in their conference. Um, Edinburgh and Munster, Connaught are a problem as well at times. How many seasons is this now? Is this John Mulverhill's third season in charge of the Blues? Yeah, it is, yeah. Obviously, you talk a lot about third seasons in, in rugby. You think Pat Lamb won the Pro 12 in his third season with Connacht. Wayne Pivak won the, the Pro 12 with the Scarlets in his third season. The third season is sort of when you get a, a crystal clear idea of what your project is. And that makes it a pretty big season for John Mulvihill because the first two have been mired by the same sort of problems, which is just crippling inconsistency. They can be almost world beaters one week and then sort of look hopeless the next, sort of depending on mm. which team turns up. Yeah, if you look at the, the conference they're in, um, you've got Connaught, Edinburgh, Munster and the Scarlets and Benetton. Now, the, the Blues could finish, if they played like they can play, they could finish in the top three of that. But you could see them finishing below all of those teams, yeah. realistically, you know, in terms of consistency. Um, it hasn't really been there. Um, you look at their squad now, there are two or three places you think especially with a couple of injuries they've got. They are perhaps a little bit shy still. Um, I, I don't see them challenging for a playoff spot, I have to be honest. Um, I think that if they can produce the kind of form that they showed against the Ospreys, they'll be more competitive. If they produce the kind of form they showed against the Scarlets, they're going to really struggle. And therein lies what we just talked about, isn't it? The consistency and finding out what their strongest team is, really. Um, and a lot will have a bearing about how many people they have in the squad but there are, there are certain players that you, you really want to see come through this season I mean number one in my list would be Seb Davis I mean Seb has got all the ability in the world in terms of his athleticism good work in the lineup. Um, he needs to have a big season coming through <laughs> thing is I, you touched on it there right so you know you can see them finishing below all, all five of the other teams in their conference well they did last year Exactly. You know, if you take the Kings out, they were dead last, and the Kings are not there this season. So, you know, they they lost they lost more games than they won. Um, I think if that record isn't improved upon this season, then John Mulverhill is under pressure because 
you get three years three years to have a crack at this is is a is a long time these days um i just think that they need to be winning more games than they lose at the very least i think if you look at last season 10 10 wins was enough to get you into the playoffs they won seven last year um you know i would like to say that they should be targeting 10 wins but i don't know if they're capable of that um four you know eight wins got you fourth in their conference last season so I think they need to be concentrating on at least winning more games than they lose this year. It's interesting you mentioned Seb Davis because I didn't, I, I completely forgotten. He, he's been in both of Wayne Pivak's Wales squads. Yes. I mean, whether he will, I mean, that's, that he's going to be a borderline one, isn't he? Yeah. If you look at the second row, you look at Alan Wynne Jones, Beard, Corey Hill, Will Rowlands, Jake Ball. Jake Ball. So Seb probably is maybe struggling to get into that group. So a big opportunity could be for them to get a lot of rugby. There's a few of them there, you know, the ones youngsters you can see really coming through. I think Max Llewellyn, I've mentioned him before, Ben Thomas, we've talked about um, real talents, Johan Davis, the fullback, James Botham on the open side. Um, got a number of young props, you know, I think the likes of Corey Demachowski, you know, need to come through this season. Um, so again, I think that will be the pro- that will be the focus. They've got a good academy; they've got to make use of it. But obviously, when you know the difficulty is that the, the more opportunities and the more involved players like that, perhaps slightly more difficult it is to get the results. And as Matt says, if the this, you know if, if the start isn't a good one, then the pressure piles on, and you become more wary of playing those youngsters, don't you? So, yeah, I think that's a big opening game for them out in Italy. Um, because I think the, the, their confidence will be a little bit fragile, you know, a little bit shallow. Um, they've got the potential there with, with that game, then home the next week. And then the first Monday night special as well. And mm, Rome yeah. three, which will be interesting. Looking forward uh, to that. Yeah, which, which is something different again, but the league and innovative, it's something you can do now that it's not, on, not live in terms of crowds. Yeah, but um, I think I agree with Matt. I think it's... Uh, the typical third album, they call it. The third season. <laughs> um, you mentioned there about sort of youngsters. I guess that follows on to the sort of final question I've got ahead of the season, which is who do we expect to, or, or, or what player do you expect to be the breakthrough player from any of the regions this season? Oof. I suppose you're, you're well-placed to, to pick one, Matt, because mm. you, you basically watched a lot of them audition on Friday. Yeah, um, that's true. But, if I, you know, I would, I like Simon's mentioned him already. James Botham is a very good prospect. Um, you know, it's, it's all about getting minutes for him. Um, I, he's a big boy. Um, he's he's proven that he can mix it at this level. Um, so I'd like to see him really given a shot. Uh, Simon touched on Ben Thomas, who's another one who I'm relatively excited about, and um, you know, looking further down west, as I touched on Jack Morgan, if he can. You know, if Glenn Delaney can get him some game time, um, then I think he's someone that we we could get really excited about. Um, another one I saw was Harry Morgan on Friday night. Um, played the best out of the scrum halves. Um, so if he can get some games, no reason why he can't be Reese Webb's deputy um, and perhaps playing when Reese is away with Wales. So you know, I know I've given you a couple there, but yeah, those would be the the ones that I would be looking out for this season. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned a couple already. Jack Morgan down the Scarlets. 
Max the Welling at the Blues. I think Max got everything he needs. He's got that size and strength, good hands, offload, breaks. Maybe stick him in the liner like his dad. He's tall enough, you know. Um, <laughs> and then the two other, I don't know how much rugby he's going to get, um, but if he does, I'm looking forward to seeing a Nairo Owen at, at the Dragons. Yeah, it's a good job. I mean, he's somebody who could benefit, say, you know, just learning and working with, with Jamie Roberts in there, you know. He's got a lot. He's uh, just good, good on the ball, good strong, good pace. I, I like the look of him in the centre. And then down the Osprey, I know he's, he has kind of been involved actually with Wales already, but has had relatively limited rugby, and that's Derry Lake. I think if you look at it, I mean, Ken Owens, you know, does seem as though he might go on forever, but you can't go on forever, can you? And you need a kind of um, hooker to come through. You obviously got Elliot D there and Ryan Elias. I think Derry Lake can add to that category. Because he's he's just a big boy, you know, big, yeah, big lad. The kind of look you'd want having in the in the scrum with you as a prop. He's just a big. You're not going to move him easily. Um, as long as he develops his line out throwing, he's a strong carrier. Uh, I think that could be a big season for him this year. Interested to see whether he actually gets into the Wales squad. Mm, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because they, they seem to prefer like the likes of Sam Parry and Scott Otten down at the Ospreys but he was called straight into the Wales squad so and you know Sam Parry and Scott Otten are not going to be away with Wales really so it's a, he's, he's an interesting case but he you know another one played alright on Friday as you touched on his throwing was a bit wonky but he's a strong surprisingly strong boy um, I think he took one ball on the back foot and then drove through um, it was a Kasim who is not a small man so you know he's got a lot about him. It's just it's just a weird situation for him, isn't it? That he's been called into Wales squads but can't get a game for the Ospreys. Yeah, he looked good when he he came on against the the Cardiff Blues, didn't he? Ronnie Parade. Yeah, um, I think he made, made a big carry for oh, whose who try was it? Dan Evans did he score? I can't remember who who finished the I mean, try. You think off, about but... it. You know, in a few years' time, you could have a Wales front row of Rhys Carey, Derry Lake, and Leon Brown. I mean, in terms of the modern-day ball-carrying impact in the front row, even if not starting, but involved, you know? So those are the kind of players you need to see come through, the ones who have a point of difference, really. That that brings us on pretty nicely, because obviously the Wales squad is named next Tuesday. Uh, we'll be doing the podcast on Tuesday to reflect that. Um, and you mentioned Leon Brown there. I think Tighthead is going to be one of the toughest decisions Wayne Pivak has because there's there's five contenders at least at the minute so um, it's who he picks um, how do we see the, the Wales squad going we've mentioned it's probably going to be somewhere between 36 and 40 names uh, what, what sort of mix what sort of balance do we see across this squad I'll just I'll just start on the tight because I spoke to Dai Young about this last week and there was a reasonable amount but tight head prop play and um, he thinks we're you know moving forward as well-placed as we've been in that position for a long time. So you've got five guys there, really, haven't you? You've got Thomas Francis is fit again after the shoulder surgery for in the World Cup. Leon Brown was the only Welsh player, made it into the Pro 14 uh, dream team. Uh, then you've got Dylan Lewis, who, he, who is the kind of prop who could really sort of um, benefit from the new jackal breakdown interpretation because he's excellent over the ball. Um, and then Samson Lee, a resurgent presence, really. Great to see because he's been through a few tough times, but he's been excellent with his scrimmaging of late. Um, really good out in Toulon when, when the Scarlets more than held their own in the scrum. And the one guy we haven't mentioned there is the guy who was due to start against Scotland, Will, Will Griff John. I mean, he could end up being a real quiz question, couldn't he? You know, the old Roger Bidgood for the people of my generation was 
selected for Wales. The game was cancelled. Had to wait three years for a cap. You know, it could, Will could be struggling to get into the squad, such as the strength and depth there. So, but that's good because there were a lot of years we had Adam, and that was about it, really. Adam and nobody. Yeah. <laughs> well, other people did their best, and but um, I think we've got real strength there. So, and that's that's where it all starts is the cornerstone of the scrum. So. And I think it's fair to say once you then look through the squad, there's quite a few positions where there is that depth as well. Yeah, it's an interesting squad because um, we don't know what's going to happen. So, you know, I know Wales, when when they arrive in camp, are going to be in a bubble. Um, you know, the people going in and out of that bubble are going to be very carefully um, selected. There's going to be no press going into the team hotel as there would be under normal circumstances. Um but so what happens? So do they pick a squad that's big enough to carry injuries, for example? So, you know, do they want to pick a squad that's quite bloated so that they haven't got to call people up? Um, are they going to be releasing players not involved in the test matches back to their regions? Who knows? It's, it's a really interesting squad selection to, to figure out um, because it's not it's not a traditional, you know, as we all know, these are not normal circumstances. Um but, you know, you'd imagine that the regions might get annoyed if Wales have got too many players in their squad who, who are just sitting there all week if they're not playing on a Saturday but are not being allowed go, to go back to the regions. I don't know how it's going to work. Um, you know, we, we're going to have to wait and see. Like you said, Ben, there's a, a squad announcement on Tuesday and I'm sure, um, sorry, next Tuesday, I'm sure these uh, all these questions will come up. So it's, I suppose it's it, could, it could hinder players who... A lack in match fitness. I take Willis Halaholo. We don't fully know where Willis Halaholo is in terms of his recovery, but there was talks that he, you know, he'd hope to play the first two games of the season. Now, if it's unlikely that he can sort of be called into the squad because of bubbles and such, that's really going to affect him, isn't it? In terms of if he can't get those minutes under his belt for the Blues and he can't be released back to the Blues, surely that just basically rules him out of. Wales selection yeah. immediately. So I, I assume they're doing something similar to, to what the England cricket team have done, isn't it? Which is fairly much, similar. Stay in bubbles. And, you know, we've seen what's happened. Obviously, Joffre Archer left the bubble, had to quarantine for, for two weeks. Same with Josh Butler was released to see his family, had to quarantine for two weeks. So, yeah, I don't, I don't it, think it's, it's going to be quite that prescriptive. So I don't think it's going to be that restrictive on the players. Um, but but they're still it's, a, it's they're going to be, still a it's going to be very logistics, careful. isn't there? Yeah, yeah. So think they're going to be very precautious, uh, very cautious, sorry, taking lots of precautions. Uh, and I don't think they're going to want, you know, players coming and going a lot. Not then, but, you know, but then it is that, is it such a great risk if a player goes to play for their region where all the players are going to be tested anyway? Who knows? I, I don't know how they're going to play it. It's going to be interesting. I, I'm, that's, the only, that's all I'm saying is it's going to be intriguing to see whether or not they name a huge squad that can manage you know, losing players um, and whether or not they're going to release players back who are not in action. The other one that's interesting for me, there's two elements. There's the decision to be made on those players who haven't played for a while and there's quite a large category of them. If you look, Liam Williams, Reese Pacho, you know, two people you would certainly expect to be in the squad. Reese hasn't played since the World Cup. I think Liam maybe had... Well, no, he hasn't played he had, since he had a, World he had a game for Wales against England, didn't he? So that was March. Oh, sorry, he did, yeah. Yeah, that was his last game. So he hasn't played much, no, hardly at all. Um, you would think, I mean, in the old Gatland era, it wouldn't matter because he would just pick people if he believed in them and wanted them in his squad on the basis he'd get them fit in training, you know? Mm. 
will it be the same attitude with Pivac now? I mean, do Patchell and Liam Williams need to play in one of these opening two rounds of games to be included? I don't know. It's an interesting one. There's a few players in that category. The other bit for me is the Anglos, the, the English-based players. Mm. And we've obviously talked a lot about the likes of Callum Sheedy, um, who, who on form is making a big stake in a big claim to be considered. Harry Randall has been excellent. Whether Harry sees his future with England or Wales, that's up to him. But if you like someone, you can at least ask him, can't you? You know, And <laughs> it'd be interesting to see whether Randall and Sheedy get a call off the Welsh manager and ask him if they'd like to come on board, please, boys. But there is a complication to it in that if you look at the schedule in England, the Gallagher Premiership final is on October the 24th, which is the opening day of Wales' autumn campaign out in France. Mm. Now, we don't yet know who's going to be in that final, but Bristol could be in that final. They're, they're vying hard to get in the, the playoffs. Exeter got a good chance, and Exeter obviously got Thomas Francis. So what's going to happen with that? I mean, I, I guess what will probably happen is you just name the squad, and then you have to work around, if you don't have the players for that game, you have to get them in board for the following yeah. matches. But there, there's lots of things like that to consider. I mean, and there's logistics of it as well, with players moving between England and Wales and clubs and, and country. So it's a very, very intriguing selection, this one. Yeah, Wales are not going to stop players playing in that final, but this is bad news for Thomas Francis because he needs all the caps he can get at the exactly. moment this year. And he's struggling anyway. And if he's going to miss out on playing against France, that's another potential cap. Um, you know, I think he's 12 short of his 60. 12 short, yeah. He's not going to get to 60. I've looked so, at the schedule. It's just not practical. I think, isn't there 11 things. games? There's 11 yeah, games. I don't think it's, I just don't think it's practical. I think a couple of things could happen there. And the Welsh Rugby Union could decide because it's of an extraordinary period to give special dispensation. Because if you remember, there were going to be two tests in New Zealand this summer, which they didn't get to play, plus a test in Japan. So that's three caps that through no fault of his own, um, he's missed out on. Wouldn't surprise me if they decide because of that to make some special action. And if they don't, I, I could still see a situation where something might be arranged for Thomas to come back. We don't know. We'll come back, come for the first time. You know, yeah, he's, yeah. Never, he's never played here. So um, it's a very intriguing one, but I don't, I just don't see it physically possible for him to get to 60, especially, you know, given that that first match, Exeter are, play, are likely to be playing in the final. Yeah, the other thing with that as well is after the cut-off point or the start date of his new contract, Wales are likely to be on tour like the week after his new contract begins when he could earn his 60th cap. So it would be very, very you know, it would probably be harsher than the Reese Webb situation, I guess, if if he was to miss out on his 60 caps by a week and then somehow be ineligible for Wales. I think that would be unbelievably harsh. Um, I, can't, I can't see it getting to that point. And there's a rollover upon a rollover upon a rollover with Thomas. So the, yeah. the exact nature of his contract, I mean, I, I don't know. No idea. But uh, yeah, it's a big year for him. He's, he, could, he could be faced with the big decisions to make going down the road. And of course, the Lions to come as well. The Lions to come as well at the end of it. So it's a massive season for a lot of these boys. If the Lions goes ahead. Well, that's, that's, oh, yeah. that's the other thing. Um, one sort of final point on the Wales squad is, is obviously there's going to be, it's going to be largely first string, but how many sort of new caps or new faces do we see coming into the squad? Is it six matches across the autumn? So it's, 
in that sense, it's a good time to blood faces with that many matches. But on the other hand, December the 14th is the proposed date for the World Cup draw. Six matches is a lot of matches to suddenly find yourself rattling down the world rankings and you're in 2015 again, aren't you? Yeah. I don't think we'll see anything particularly new. I think, you know, I think in terms of uncapped players, it'll probably be the similar or the same ones that were called up in the Six Nations. The only the only sort of caveat to that is the Callum Sheedy's and Harry Randall's of the world um, could get a nod. Um, you know, I think the likes of Louis Rees-Samit will be in there. I think Will Griff John is an interesting one. We've touched on the tight dead situation. Um, you know, that I'm probably not as certain that he will be named as I am that Louis Rees-Samit will be named. Um, but I, I wouldn't be expecting um, any major shocks, to be honest. Um, I mean, they, they sprung a few on us uh, in the Six Nations, didn't they, with the likes of Will Rowlands and, and all that. Um, so I would probably not be bracing myself for big shocks because, as you as you touched on, they need they need the world ranking points, um, and you know the the first team frontline players haven't really played that much rugby, so they need rugby as much as anyone else. Um, I think you probably name Louis Rees Samit. I think he probably does finally get his cap at some point, um, possibly Georgia. Um, possibly Scotland, maybe even in France away. Um, you know, but, you know, with George North, you know, his ban is going to be up by then. We now know as a result of this training game on Friday, you know, that, that becomes less, less certain. So I wouldn't be expecting too many shocks. I think if you are going to look anywhere, it would be whether or not they can convince Callum Sheedy that, <laughs> to come and play for Wales. Yeah, I think that... Um... Callum's, Callum is an interesting one. I mean, watched him play since he was um, a schoolboy. Yeah. He was a Corpus Christi, and his talent was obvious from day one. He's now really fulfilling that. Um, and if you look with Anscombe's injury, Reese Patchell hasn't played since the World Cup. You'd say Daniel Bigger is nailed on. And then you're looking at probably two from Patchell, uh, Jared Evans, Sam Davis, and Callum Sheedy. Um, so he's got to be in with a big chance in terms of form and merit. The question is then, the question has to be asked. I asked Callum a few times in the past, what will you do? He said, I'll come to that bridge when I cross it. And um, a bridge crossing could be you know, in the offing now for him. So big decision there. I think that'll be a big focus on the, on the squad. It'd be fascinating if Randall was named. That would really set the cat among the pigeons, that would. Captain Wales under 16s, then went to play for England under 18s. And, Spent ten years or so in Tikros. I believe, you know, my understanding is he, you know, he is absolutely qualified for Wales, even though he's born in England and of England has no Welsh family qualifications. He spent more than ten years here as, as a schoolboy, and that makes you permanently eligible. So that'd be fascinating. Uh, Lewis Rees Samet, I think, will will make his debut in one of the early games. I think generally what Wales will do is pick pretty much their strongest side for the games against France, Ireland and England. And then you will have the games against Georgia. And sorry, I was actually, it would be the strongest sides against Scotland, Ireland and England. And then maybe use the France warm-up game, the Georgia game and the game against the team from the other um, group as the opportunities to bled and try out a few other players. And then that puts you in a reasonable step moving forward to the Six Nations. 
of course, the Scotland game is a rearranged Six Nations fixture. Wales could finish fifth if they lost that and results went. But I always saw the opinion that finishing fifth and finishing second in the Six Nations is ultimately the same thing. <laughs> well, I, I think second gives you a bit more leeway than finishing fifth. But <laughs> yeah, but um, I, mean, I remember under Gatland they finished fifth, and the year after they finished second. And honestly, they they they, they lost they, both times. They lost three, one, two. There's a prize money element as well, mind you. That, that's, that is, yeah, I suppose. But and at this moment, in, at this moment <laughs> in time, <laughs> I think Steve Phillips might be onto Wayne Pivak in the build-up to this game, making sure he picks his first his first choice team. Well, is that, how much prize money do you think the Autumn Nations Cup carries, if any? Well, I don't know. That's a good question. I'll have to do some digging on that one. Indeed, we will. Um, I think that's the Wales squad put to bed. I suppose there's only sort of one final bit of news to touch on in the podcast, and that was announced. Was it last Friday? No, it was last Tuesday, wasn't it? Um, Rob Howley has uh, oh, yeah. landed, landed himself a job ne- nearly virtually Canada. a year on, wasn't it? From the uh, from yeah, yeah, home yeah. from the World Cup, pretty much. I think it was a year and a, and a week. Yeah, not far off. Not far off. It's good to see him back. Good to see that he's got a job. Um, you know, he did, you know, there was talk of him going to Gloucester, I believe, wasn't there? And then Wasps a, a few months back. and was like Italy was linked for a long time. Well, yeah, he was due to be going to Italy after the World Cup. That didn't happen, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's good to see him back in the game. Hopefully it leads to um, leads to him sort of climbing the ranks again and getting into sort of either into a tier one nation or, you know, the, the top job at a, a, a top club in Europe. Um, we know he's qualified for it. Um, you know, it's this is a good stepping stone for him to get back to to where he probably feels like he should be. Um, you know, I think you wrote the piece back at the time, Ben. That the sport has got a job to sort of rehabilitate him. Um, you know, it was it was what he, you know, what he did wrong and he was punished for it. Um, but the way it panned out, you know, that was a very difficult time for him personally. Um, so it's just good to see him being welcomed back into the sport and. Um, you know, I think it's a great move for him. It's out of the limelight a little bit, isn't it? You know, but it's um, it's a good stepping stone. What, what interests me, I, sp- I spoke to Gareth Reese, who is sort of head of Canadian rugby a few weeks back, and he was telling me just, well, every sport, every, you know, federation is feeling about just the lack of mon- money in Canadian rugby. And they sort of rely on the goodwill of sort of big names, like oh, Graham Henry came and helped them throughout throw the World Cup, didn't he? And a few other boys did. And getting attracting sort of former players back you know Jamie Cudden was there at the minute I imagine DTH van der Merwe is going to be tapped up as soon as he finishes playing to, to go back and coach so landing Rob Howley for them is 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 just a massive massive thing yeah it looks like they did a bit of a, a dual agreement with Toronto wasn't it um, yes because they're playing Major League Rugby aren't they so that's, that's a good do a bit of work for them and I think I, I, re- I read that they sort of relied on a few sponsors as well to put together some sort of package for Howley. Um, but look, at the end of the day, from his point of view, I, I'd imagine he's just very grateful for the opportunity um, to to get his, his sort of foot back in the door and um, and start climbing that ladder, as I touched on, up back towards where he probably feels like he should be. And of course, I mean, who knows if he'd be selected, but you'd expect Warren Gatland to name his Lions coaches before the end of the, the calendar year. He's been on the last three tours with them. Gatlin knows him. There's always the chance that he's heading to South Africa next year as well. Possible, isn't it? I mean, um, I'm glad for Rob that he sorted this out. It's been a very tough year for him, him and his family. 
Um, he's a hugely dedicated. <clears throat> whatever you think about the way Wales played with his attacking game, whatever you you know, he's somebody who came in for flack, wasn't he? But it's you know, he was part of a hugely successful Wales management team. And one thing I'll say about him, he's absolutely dedicated as a coach. You know, he burns the midnight oil. You know, he works really hard at it, um, and he'll be a big asset to Canada. And there's worse places to go and live than that. Let me tell you, that's a lovely country. Uh, so I hope he enjoys it. Um, as for the Lions, will Gatlin go for him again? You wouldn't rule it out, would you? You wouldn't, you wouldn't rule it out. out. Um, that's a fascinating, you know, choice of management. But as I say, I mean, I just wonder whether it will go ahead. I really do. I mean, South Africa, their situation, We, you know, look at the Pro 14, we're talking about trying to get maybe one, maybe two teams involved in the new year. You're not holding your breath for it, are you? It's, uh, we obviously don't know what the progress of the pandemic is going to be, but, you know, I wouldn't be hugely, I wouldn't be overly confident of that Lions tour going ahead, but you have to prepare on the basis that it is, I guess. It wouldn't shock me if Gatlin actually went for some, I know he, he trusts people like Howley, and, but it wouldn't shock me if he went for some younger coaches. Scott Robertson, wasn't he? He was thrown well, in the mix. It's an interesting one. I, I, I saw, I saw reports that, um, I can't remember, is it the Leinster scrum coach? Uh, no, it's not actually. That's Rob McBride, isn't it, at the minute? Um, <laughs> but um, somebody who's been working with Leinster is basically nailed on. Who was it? Oh, John Fogarty. I read reports in Ireland that he's practically nailed on to be working with the Lions next year, which is interesting I mean people like Sam Warpton could feasibly come into the mix could do could do um, but back to the original point with Howley I think we don't know how much what happened last year damaged their relationship they were very close um, worked together a lot Gatlin was was pretty devastated with the way that panned out um, privately I, I'm not sure how how that will have affected their relationship um, and also if Howley does get named as a coach there's going to be one hell of a circus around that um, so it's whether or not they want that baggage um, it's the kind of thing that I suppose could be nipped in the bud but it may follow them around um, so I don't know I don't know it would be a good it would be a hell of a story if it did happen um, I wouldn't write it off as Simon said um, but there, there would be a lot of question marks over that for the time being yeah, I, I don't think Gatlin would concern himself too much with the media circus side of it, you know. But um, yeah, the point you raised about maybe the first part about the stuff behind closed doors that we don't know about and how, how that sort of affects their relationship, that's probably going to play play a part, isn't it? Okay, well, there we go. It's good to see Rob back in a job. Though I think that's it for the Welsh Rugby Podcast this week. We'll be back again next week on Tuesday when the Wales squad is announced but in the meantime there's plenty of rugby on this week Pro 14's back on the weekend you can catch all that on Wales Online